Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Cleveland sucks! You losers! 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 How does it feel? Oh, that was embarrassing! Go Steelers! Go Steelers! Say go Steelers! Go Steelers! Welcome to the Steelers Outpost Podcast, a proud member of the Armchair All-Americans Network. It's January 18th, 2021. This is Tom coming to you from Sawdust Studios in the Washington, D.C. Outpost. Nick joins me from the Houston Outpost. Steeler Nation, you got your wish. You won't have Randy Feetner to kick around anymore. Now you can kick around Matt Canada. Matt Canada. Oh boy. The changes are sweeping and dramatic in Steeler Nation. Once again, promoting the quarterback's coach, to offensive coordinator. Got a lot of thoughts on that. First thought being, I'm extremely glad they fired Randy. You know, now you get this weird sense of remorse because now Randy's become a person. He's not just an idea of the abject failure of the Steelers' offensive struggle. So you're like, I don't want to say I'm glad they fired Randy the man, but I'm glad uh, Randy Feetner is no longer calling plays for the Steelers. Let's put it that way. And it was really... I almost felt like it was 50-50 at the end of the season. Just because this whole thing of Ben coming back complicates everything and and Feetner being Ben's guy and us sort of realizing over the course of the season that the offense is really a three-headed monster of Feetner, Ben, and Tomlin and wondering, like, oh, they're going to keep Ben, so they might keep Feetner. I I thought that the odds of Feetner getting fired were lower than we might have thought. And I don't think they take too many bets on fired coaches, but there's plenty of other bets you can take on Bet Online, and that's where I prefer to take mine. I'll tell you what, Bet Online is the best props, the best odds, player odds, team odds, and coaching props in the business. They give you more online options to wager than any other place. So head to Bet Online today, use their promo code ARMCHAIR to take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Bet Online, ching, your online sports book experts. Well, let me just do a quick recap of the other cha- coaching changes that have taken place before it, but let's, let's go back to the main story. So, offensive line coach Sean Surrett let go after one year, and defensive backs coach Tom Bradley gone as well. We have one other change, and that's James Daniel, who retired as the tight ends coach after 82 years of service to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, the man coached Heath, but I almost felt like I was burying the lead on on this Randy firing. It should be rejoicing, right? We should all be happy about that. But we know there's so many questions in the Steelers' future that uh, there's a lot of work left to be done. Like I said, I felt bad a little bit for a second there for the actual man. I'm like, hey, this is our voices getting recorded uh, for eternity here on the podcast. You don't want to seem insensitive to a guy who seems altogether, he seemed like a pretty cool, chill guy. That's basically why they kept him around. I will always thank him for the farts bouncing around in a skillet comment he made a couple weeks back, which really spelled the end of the Steelers' uh, wide receiving core as we knew it at the time. But 
Yes, so Feetner is gone, and the Steelers kind of stick with the status quo, and they hire from within by keep, by upgrading Matt Canada to play caller. I have a lot of feelings on this, uh, but I think I've distilled it down to one opinion. You want the Steelers to go and get someone from the outside because you want someone young and innovative. That's what we said is our biggest issue with the Steelers. Offensively and defensively, they've relied too much in the Tomlin era on, hey, we just have the best athletes and we're going to do what we do. If we play the Jacksonville Jaguars league best defense, who's great outside, we don't care. We're still going to try and attack outside. Dick LeBeau at one time actually had the Steelers on that list of innovative teams with the 3-4 zone blitzing defense, which wasn't really opponent specific as much as it was exotic, the word we always hear them use to describe it, erotic sometimes when you are a Steelers fan, I mean, it gets to be an enjoyable thing to watch, but chaotic. And right there we have the song of Dick LeBeau. But the 3-4 zone blitzing scheme was just, it was wild. It was, it, it, you know, it was equally wild against every team. It's not like when the Patriots go into an opponent who has terrible run defense and they're like, hey, we haven't run in three weeks, but we're going to run this week because we know we can do it. It was more like nobody can figure out this Steelers defense week to week because it's so crazy and we have the horses to make it happen, right? But eventually people caught up to that. And now here we are today still playing one high safety almost the entire game. And then we saw the same thing with Randy Feetner, right? Just not game plan specific planning and the league lowest use of play action where we have found out in today's day and age, play action is one thing that all the top offenses have in common every year. Uh, Very low on the motion usage, which is incredibly frustrating because motion is another thing modern offenses use to be successful. Both of those things are free yardage, right? Like, motion doesn't cost you anything, and at best, it shows you what defense the opponent is playing. Are they man or are they zone? What are the rules on each play? It also enables you to move some of your players around and cause some confusion for the defense at no cost to your offense at all, right? And the Steelers aren't utilizing these concepts, so this is why we wanted somebody modern. And the Steelers went out, and they got a guy who was already on the staff for this incredibly unmodern, incredibly uncreative offense that the Steelers ran this year. However, that guy, Matt Canada, actually does fall into the modern coordinator list. Right, That's why they picked him up, because he's had success in the college ranks, and he's been in the NFL a little bit, but his offense is greatly predicated on motions and everybody in Steelers Nation kind of mocks and makes fun of him just reducing his offense to oh just get ready for jet sweeps he's just going to use tons of jet sweeps and that may be true but from when what you and I saw it doesn't look like he had any say this year he had a minute amount of say when we saw the Steelers run a bunch of jet sweeps successfully I might add early in the season They added no wrinkles to said jet sweep. So eventually, of course, every NFL defense caught up to it. And instead of, you know, furthering the concept, they just stopped and gave up on it. So my view from the outside is that Canada didn't have much of an influence. And we haven't seen the, like, what surface he can scratch. But he does fall under that category of, hey, this might actually be the modern offensive young guy that we were looking for. I saw what you saw, and what I, my feeling is that Feetner, maybe Tomlin, but Feetner saw this guy as a bright new shiny toy, and the shiny toy told him about this jet sweep, hmm. and Randy does as Randy does. He used it, 
and then he overused it and it became ineffective. And he said, ah, this doesn't work. And he threw, the, threw it away. Right. So if we're talking, so just some more thoughts about um, Canada. When you pull up, first of all, they've updated his wiki page already. Good. It's really interesting that the most time he has spent at one team is four years at Indiana. The other time, every other, every other stint is one to two years. I mean, this guy's personal life must be a disaster. Yeah. But as you mentioned, I mean, this is his first year in the NFL. I kind of like the idea that he uh, he did get at least one year of seasoning to sort of get uh, used to the waters in the NFL. But talk about this is where innovation comes from, right? It comes from yes. college, and this guy is steeped in college experience at multiple schools with success at each one of those schools. And by the way, it's not just jet sweeps; it's a lot of motion. He did some crazy stuff at Pitt with like three people in motion at the same time kind of stuff where obviously you know you can only have one guy technically in motion in the nfl but like formation shifts and they're pretty wacky and they might be some of them looked semi gimmicky but some of them were really cool where you have like a tight end step back and a receiver on the other side of the line step back and they kind of crisscross or whatever like there's just he uses a lot of motion which he finds ways to get the ball in the hands of the playmakers which is going to be huge since you have deontay johnson and chase claypool both guys who are great with running with the ball, uh, you know, in open space and whatever that is. So it's not just – I was trying to make the point, like, yeah, he does jet sweeps. But the funny thing is Pittsburgh hadn't seen a jet sweep in the five years since they've been used, so we just reduce it to that one <laughs> type of play. But he does do a lot of cool modern offensive things. He got Pitt to be good on offense, so some of that, that's a pretty good job. And I do agree with you. I actually like the fact that he was able to sit – relatively hands-off, it seems, and observe how bad an NFL offense can be when you make the wrong decisions this year. So I do think that this experience was valuable. And you're saying Randy saw jet sweeps and thought this is a nice toy, and then they broke and he didn't know how to fix them. I think that it's not just Randy. I think it's Randy and Ben saw that. And this is the downside of Canada as an offensive coordinator, which is – his offense and Ben Roethlisberger's skill sets have nothing in common. Ben doesn't like to go from under center. Ben doesn't like play action. Ben doesn't want to new, learn new ter- terminology and motions and stuff like that. And so this matchup is extremely weird. And my caveat for Canada is I hope Tomlin and the Steelers have the balls to say to Ben, like, look, we can make some compromises here. We're, we're going to keep this guy in the house, but like, we can't be hostage to your 2010 offense. We, you're going to have to go under center a little bit. You're going to have to run some play action. And will that happen? History says no. But, but maybe not, because they made him throw short when Todd Haley got there and stuff like that. So that's what I'm thinking, the, the weird matches. Well, you know, four years ago is a, is a lifetime, so it's hard to match eras. I, I wonder if the fact that they let Randy go is an indication either Ben changed his mind or Ben really doesn't have that much influence on coaching staff. Well, it's fine for him to have influence. It's just what's that level? I mean, he should definitely have influence. But, yeah, at a certain point, like, we'll give you Randy. We'll try Randy. And Randy was such a colossal train wreck that he has to go. And, like, look, Ben, like, we're, we're, you're one of the heads in the brain trust. You're not the whole thing. So I hope that's how they handle this Canada thing. Let's not forget about the magic 
that Canada produced with Mason Rudolph this year. You're actually right. He was the quarterback coach, and Mason Rudolph did take a step forward. So that is one little piece of evidence that uh, Canada's done a good job. But honestly, you, you can't really chalk that up to that. Mason had a whole year to start and then get to sit on the bench and watch the game again. But, uh, I, yeah, I'm, I think some people are really upset about it because we wanted a sweeping change. But when I was looking at the offensive coordinators on the market, there's not a guy out there who's going to work. There's a bunch of retreads, and there's Jay Gruden, and – there was rumors of Daryl Bevel, who is legitimately maybe the only lateral move from Randy Feetner you could make. I mean, he was the prior coordinator in Seattle, and he's run for the sake of running, 30 run attempts, otherwise the game doesn't count. Um, runs high school-level passing game, just slant flats over and over again. So thank God that didn't happen. And I was scared that they'd go backwards in that sense. So I, I actually think it's a, it's a really good hire. Is it going to work out? I don't know, but I'm more in favor of taking the younger guy. How old is Matt Canada? Do you know? Matt I did. Canada age. Let's see. He's 50? He's 48 years old. He's too yes. old. Does he have a Nobody brother? <laughs> yeah, well, either way, he at least, you know, he, you know, it's not all about age. It's about innovation and, innovation, and he's really had a success in the college game recently with the recent NFL offense. So, I actually like the hire. There's definitely a part of me that thinks, like, I just, you know, we'll get into this later, but obviously Ben announced, basically has announced that he's coming back. He hasn't given an official announcement, but uh, the NFL leaks happened on Sunday morning or Saturday morning, the morning of the game, saying that Ben wants to come back, which is, uh, you know, Basically means he told somebody or his agent told somebody that he's coming back. Deontay Johnson posted a photo to Instagram of uh, like screenshotting one of those reports saying Ben's coming back. He said like, yes, let's go. QB1. So I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of evidence saying Ben's coming back. And this is just the weird part about it, which is how they don't mesh at all. And that's why I hope that Tomlin is like, look, we're going to get this new offense installed. Because I don't know if they think they have a chance at the Super Bowl this year, but some of the other things Ben is, is saying would make that really difficult for the Steelers to get to the Super Bowl. But, yeah, so to sum this all up, Matt Canada, good option. He's got the more modern, modern innovative mind that we were looking for. He has familiarity with, with Pittsburgh. And uh, the bad part is it doesn't match what they have been doing recently on offense at all. The head scratcher, I mean, it's not a head scratcher in that I think we needed to keep this guy at all costs. I'm just curious about what the math, math was on Sean Surrett. Yes. Obviously, you and I think, well, you we're going to talk about it. We think the Steelers need to find offensive linemen right out of the gate in the draft. But it was, uh, it was a direct cause of a pathetic running game, the offensive line was. Yeah. And the question is, is that Surrett? Obviously, he has something to do with it. But... Uh, from everything I understand, he sort of just sort of carried the the mantle for for Mike Munchak. There's more than just following his game plan, obviously, but that line kind of fell apart before our eyes. Pouncey got old. I hate to say it, but right. DeCastro aged or he was hurt all season. Filer wasn't the guy, and he got hurt. There are there are problems with the offensive line. It's not like he just inherited the line from three years ago. Well, he inherited it, and then it right. started Crumbled. uh, crumbling. Yeah, that one is interesting. The thing I think about with his firing is Mike Tomlin's exit press conference. Once again, some people were saying he didn't say much in that press conference. I disagreed. I, mean, I, I thought that he was pretty um, 
obvious that there would be some big changes. And Feetner going, you know, two days later, along with a bunch of other coaches, is right. And there's a particular, there's a particular quote he had in response to the running game being so bad. Of like, listen, if if you're dead last in anything, you got to change. He said something along those lines. So that's what the Sean Surrett thing seems to indicate to me. It's a little weird because the best linemen were the were the young linemen. You know, Dotson, although apparently the Steelers don't think he's the best lineman, starting Filer. Dotson was clearly the best lineman on the Steelers this year. And Chooks actually had a good year. I mean, he wasn't great, but... He did well. This isn't like the days of Mike Adams going in there when the Steelers used to put guys in and it was a disaster. And so some of, and Banner looked like he was going to hopefully have a good year. Unfortunately, got cut short immediately. So you can check that off the list. And then you can kind of explain some of the bad play between Pouncey and, and uh, Villanueva as, as aging. You know, as Villanueva was great last year. But the current year... Villanueva really sort of slid down, and he still played well. He didn't allow a sack or a pressure for a long time during the season, and then the wheels fell off. But he's 33 or 34 years old. I always forget that because, you know, he had the Army stint. So he's older than you would think he would be. Pouncey has been slowly declining over the past few years. So that one, okay, that's obvious. And DeCastro had big multiple injuries that he was playing on. So you can explain why they were bad. But... You could also ask the question like, what is there? Did they really all three go bad at the exact same time overnight? Or is there something else going on here? Also, how much of the lack of success in the run game is just due to a lack of commitment in the run game? People have talked about that. And I I hate that idea of you just need to run the ball more. It's been proven to be so wrong so many times. Look, Dad, if the Steelers ran the ball more, they'd go three and out and make one yard instead of three and out and making six yards, right? They're getting stopped at every turn. But there also is something to be said about the philosophy of we pass 60 times a game, the, the linemen are on their heels. I think they made a great point on part of my take this morning. PFT commenter said something about the Buffalo Bills game plan where they weren't throwing in the first half against the Ravens. And then in the second half, they were running the ball. Or excuse me, they were only throwing in the first half versus the Ravens. In the second half, they started running more, and linemen were literally jumping up and high-fiving and celebrating after six-yard run plays. So there is something to that. And I guess all I'm trying to say is there are a lot of factors that have gone into the offensive line being pooped besides Sean Surrett. But with the pass blocking being as spotty as it was and the run blocking being as, as bad as it's been in 60 years, you know, heads are going to roll and – you kind of can't blame them for that. So why is Tom Bradley, who just got three years as a defensive backs coach for the Steelers, gone? The Steelers ranked second in terms of defense, passing defense at 198 yards a game. That one I do not understand. And your best corners are the two in-house corners, right? Sutton and Hilton. How long has Tom Bradley been the defensive backs coach for the Steelers? Three, three years. Yeah, so he oversaw their development, and, and Terrell Edmonds has gotten better as well. So I don't know what's going on there. That one is truly confusing, whereas Carnell Lake didn't develop a single player in a while. But that one's confusing. But, hey, once again, heads will roll. So, James, as I mentioned, James Daniel retired. He started originally hired by Bill Cowher in 2004. Heath, that's Heath's coach, man. That's a loss. Look, the, the, his crowning achievement is Jesse James to me. 
the fact that Jesse was so bad at the beginning, and we thought this is just such a stopgap. The Steelers need to find a tight end. And he really could have been a Super Bowl-winning tight end the year with the Jaguars. I mean, he was very reliable for the Steelers. Obviously, he caught that ball to beat the Patriots. And it just seems like he'd been doing a, a good job with, with everybody who came through there. Obviously, Vance, you know, had a, a much more successful career in Pittsburgh than he did in San Francisco. So it is unfortunate that he's retiring. It's another question mark at maybe the position that has the biggest question mark on the team. Like, they're not going to let go of Ebron and Vance, but one of them's going at least. And you, you really, that cupboard is bare at, at tight end and now the coaching staff is bare so that one's uh unfortunate so the coaching staff may not be bare hasn't Heath spent a little time in the coaching trenches has he has he coached before I believe so when I don't remember that well I don't know if he was an official coach but he was hanging around is my uh my point and I wonder if He's a possibility. He doesn't be awesome seem like the him. guy who would. Like I always feel like those quiet stars, like they go and they chill out on a ranch, stuff like that. Like sure, I would definitely take Heath, but yeah, I wouldn't count on the Steelers' best tight end ever coming back and saving them by coaching the team. By the way, that never works. Joey Porter was horrible. Carnell Lake was horrible. John Elway is horrible. So maybe be careful what you wish for in that one. So. We have a couple of questionables here. One is a defensive, uh, I said, Terrell Austin is inter- was interviewing as the defensive coordinator for the Titans. I don't yeah. think he got the job, but it shows he's, uh, he's in the market or he's marketable. Yeah, he's got some connections around the league. He was a DC for the Cincinnati Bengals before, so it's not like some random position coach is getting escalated. And I don't think, I don't know if he's necessarily getting escalated because of his performance for the Steelers. We obviously cannot track his impact almost whatsoever. But he has connections in the league, and he's coached before. So that one's not crazy surprising. Here's something that's really weird is that uh, weird. Kevin Colbert, also, his name has come up to go back to Detroit right. for a stint, um, which probably is not going to happen. He's on a year-to-year lease with the Pittsburgh Steelers. No, I, it think, seems they hired, like... I think they hired a coordinator already, or they, they hired a GM. But his... Yeah, my point is that he came up in conversation. I, I haven't heard anything that says that he's entertaining a move especially near the end of his career. But Omar Khan certainly is a guy who's been around since he was like 22 with the Pittsburgh Steelers, whose name has come up several times. Um, Where was he interviewing? Texas? For the Texans, and I think that even early there was a rumor. Well, last year I think maybe there was something about the Panthers, but luckily he did not get that one. We need to keep that front office intact. intact. I agree with you. Kevin Colbert's not going anywhere. I mean, that would just be shocking. He's going year to year. Because he wants to retire soon. Especially, why would he want to go to a train wreck like Detroit? That just makes no sense whatsoever. My only hope is that he doesn't retire anytime soon. Because, good God, if the Steelers lost Ben and Colbert, anything is possible in a bad way. So, hopefully, they keep him. And definitely, Omar Khan, you want all of, you know, Brandon Hunt is the big one that the Steelers' Twitter is in love with. You know, he's been getting some buzz for other teams as well. But Omar Khan, Brandon Hunt, those guys you really want to keep in-house because that is where the Steelers' tradition of hiring in-house actually, you know, is very helpful. And the Steelers have had great success hiring in-house for their coaches before. You know, we soured on it because of Randy and and Lake and and just a number – and Butler. I mean, it hasn't been successful recently, right? But uh, especially in somewhere like the, the front office, that can be really helpful. You know, there's not as many variables. You're just evaluating. So 
I was listening to some sports radio this week, and they were talking about the possibility. This is there'll be one more year getting the gang back together for one more year, right. and even Tomlin might be moving on. Under what circumstances would a guy move on? I guess Cowher is a good example. Somebody moved on. Did he spend a year no, outside of football before? He, huh? He retired. Yeah, and then he and then he went on TV. But he retired at um, was he fifty? Yeah. When he like retired? That. Yeah, yeah, something like that. It just seems really young. Maybe uh, that re- that report it, is baseless. You know, I've been seeing the same thing. People say that I think just because it looks good on paper, but really they're not looking at the right paper. They're like the Steelers have three coaches ever. I'm not suggesting that report is right. It just brought up it just brought up uh, the thought or the question: What would compel Tomlin to leave? Like a series of bad years or yeah. burnout? Yeah, which exactly. is what that- I think ha- would happen to Cower. That's what I'm saying. That's so far in the future. Tomlin doesn't even look close to burning out. He is vibrant as ever. You know, I talked about this last week with my analysis of Tomlin, that, hey, he, I think that he is, on one hand, an, inc- an absolutely unbelievable – he's as good of a thrower as Tom Brady. Like, his, his player evaluation and his leadership is Tom Brady's throwing and pocket movement. His use of strategy and X's and O's is the equivalent of Tom Brady's running past the line of scrimmage. Like, it's that stark of a, con- of, of a comparison. And it's that true. Like, he is really unbelievable at, at leading and the big picture things. And he's poop at the strategy element of things and stubborn and old school. But that's why I said last week, he should stay. Like, the dream would be another 10 years of Tomlin. But you need new coordinators because if you fail with these players, this unbelievably talented team over the past 10 years minus the defense for a lot of those years, which we conveniently forget, uh, then, you know, that leadership's good. I, I just I don't see him going anywhere unless there were a couple bad years. The Steelers are going to want that stability, and he's still in the prime of his career for a while. Let's lay one bit of chatter to rest, and that is the possibility of Juju staying in Pittsburgh. So this is the big one. Not only did Ben drop the hint to his agent or the reporters or whoever got it to whoever, that's how those things work. When the reporters do that, it's like a Sunday morning news dump, they call it. They put big news, you know, it gets a lot of traction on those early mornings. That's when, like, the Jay Glazer reports of Odell Beckham Jr. getting traded happen. Obviously, there was a report Drew Brees is going to retire before their game. He was trying to motivate his team somehow, right? In that report of Ben saying that he's going to come back, he said that he wants Juju back. And, of course, he wants Juju back. That's his favorite receiver. He told Antonio Brown that through the media a couple years ago, which led to quite an issue. Um, obviously, 13 catches, 157 yards, a touchdown. He has great rapport with Juju. Juju is an incredible receiver. We are just spoiled because we saw maybe the be- you know a top-five best receiver of all time when we had Brown, who's just so utterly dominant that it makes it difficult to compare anybody else to him. Is Juju top-10 receiver in the NFL? No. There's a, definitely a list of 10 guys who are just freak shows above him. Is he 10 to 20? Probably, yeah. He is really good. He can do everything. He can go short. He can go mid-range. He can go long. He has really strong hands. He can catch it over people's head. He's run for 90-yard touchdowns before. He's an unbelievable blocker, and he's very detailed, and his route running is actually good for guys of his size. And I know people bitch about him all the time because he's on t- TikTok, but he's an incredible, phenomenal guy who's loved by all his teammates. Yes, he was stupid when he gave other teams bulletin board material recently, but uh, I think Derek, our buddy Derek, at Derek DeKid on Twitter, put out a good 
a list of all the things Heinz Ward did in his career, who now we look back with rose-colored glasses. Oh, this would never happen with Heinz Ward. It would have been way worse with Heinz Ward. Heinz Ward was a violent man, and that's why we love him. So I don't understand why we don't love Juju when he has a personality, right? But all I'm trying to say is Juju is an awesome wide receiver who you would do well to keep. However, the Steelers are not just in cap hell. They're in the seventh level of cap purgatory, just waiting to get into hell. I'm implying that purgatory is worse than hell at this moment, which, you know, maybe it is. You're waiting to go to hell. They know they're going to hell, but they're stuck. So they can't keep everybody. They're going to lose a great receiver or a great edge rusher or a great corner or some great lineman. Like, they're going to lose a lot of people. And it's really just Juju's going to get offers from other places, and the Steelers at least have two receivers behind. There's a succession plan for Juju. Deontay and Claypool were inconsistent this year. They need, like Deontay needs to learn how to catch the ball on a regular basis, but their high end talent is actually higher than Juju's. Like these guys, like you obviously have Megatron potentially in Claypool. You have a sort of Antonio Brown type player in <clears throat> Deontay Johnson. And worst case, at least there's two guys who can play there, and then there's a James Washington behind them. Yes, you you lose your slot receiver, and that's complicated, but at least there's somebody. If you lose Mike Hilton and Cam Sutton. You have Justin Lane behind them. That's a disaster. Or St. Pierre, you literally don't have guys on the roster to field it. So you're going to have to lose Bud. And I think that the way the Steelers have to look at it is like, yeah, this is once again an example of Ben, you're a member of the brain trust, but you're not the whole thing. We know you want to keep Juju. We actually want to keep Juju too. But the rules of the NFL prohibit us from doing that. Unless you want to take Ben's final wishes for one more year where the roster is going to be a lot worse than it was this year. You want to take his final wishes and screw the team over for the next four years after that. It can't happen. They can't sign Juju. They're not going to have enough money. They need to prioritize signing Hilton and Sutton or at least one of them because that way you're getting star players in their fourth, fifth years who are going to keep that defense together with TJ Watt and Minka Fitzpatrick for the next you know, five years and, and keep the ball rolling rather than Juju. And then in two years, you know, Deontay comes up being like, oh, crap, we don't have enough money for this guy. And look at him. He's Stefan Diggs now. What are the odds that we keep Juju? I think the odds are pretty low, honestly. And I might not be able to tell you exactly what they are, but bet online can. Because football is at the very, very end. There's a light at the end of the tunnel, and hopefully it doesn't involve Tom Brady and Antonio Brown skipping through it on their way to kiss their sons on the mouth. BetOnline's going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on all the action imaginable this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any other place online. Head to BetOnline today and use the promo code ARMCHAIR to take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Bet online, Ching, your online sports book experts. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued 
at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. So, we know our 2021 season opponents. I had heard ahead of time that it was going to be a little tougher this year, and then I started looking down, and I see... I see the Bengals, I see the Bears, Denver, Detroit, and then I see Green Bay, Chiefs, Titans. Uh, Ravens, Browns. Uh, yeah. it, it's going to well, be... A, I left those off, but hey, obviously... this is what you get for the first place schedule. And when we say next year could be rough, it's not a joke. It's just a sad reality. I kind of look at the Steelers now very early as in, you know, seven and nine to nine and seven fighting for a wild card. They could put a great season together and win 10 games. You know, they're the damn Steelers, but it's a rough road with what's been stacked up against them for next year. So that's interesting. That's something to look forward to. You get to see Patrick Mahomes play, but Aaron Rodgers, but uh, yeah, looking a little rough. So, the other thing I missed, sorry, the Steelers are going to be choosing 24th overall in the first round of the 2021 draft. Are you curious to know what our average draft pick is in the first round over the last 10 years? Probably that. It's probably 24. Close. It's a, it's actually 22 because oh, we had the advantage of, well, remember we had to, we moved up for Bush to, to spot 10 and we got Shazier at 15 in right. 2014. Wow, that was so tomorrow is a very special day. I think I mentioned today is Monday, January 18th. Tomorrow, voting for the NFL Hall of Fame, and we have Al Fanica back again and Bill Nunn up for the award. So we will track that, and uh, Nicholas, I assume you with everybody else will be tweeting out the results. Hopefully you have he to gets assume, over the Yeah, you have to assume Fanica's not going to get in again, which is ridiculous because there's a great argument to be made that the best players of the era you know, are Ben, Troy, and Fanica. But Fanica's a guard. It was like a nine-time All-Pro. I mean, obviously, you you know, A.B., but, like, it's just so sad that he's getting screwed for being an offensive lineman. I hope they finally do the right thing and let him in. But, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if they should be letting the the top ten players in every year 
versus let's allocate by position because how else is a how else is a guard going to get in there? Yeah, and and you would have to have the stipulation. Hey, if there's not a guard that deserves to make it, let's not do it. But of course not. Fanica is no. the definition. You know, um, Pouncey is someone who might go into the Hall of Fame, who wasn't even quite as good as Fanica. And I love Pouncey. He's one of my favorite Steelers of all time. But he's been making the Pro Bowl the past few years just on reputation, and he's kind of one of those guys like, oh, we know his name, so he's making it. Fanica was actually that guy, and he wasn't just making Pro Bowl. He's making the important one, the All Pro eight or nine friggin' times like this is real deal so sucks that he's not making it hey question for you here's another thing that the nfl world was talking about yesterday the play in the browns game which they lost getting knocked out of the playoffs and eliminated for all of eternity uh higgins at the end of the first half it's 16 to 3 chiefs are up baker mayfield who had a good game besides the crossbody interception he threw in the fourth quarter doesn't seem like a playoff quarterback thing to do i don't know but he had a good game and he led them down the field hits higgins on a crosser higgins is making a beeline towards the end zone it's him and the safety Sorensen for the chiefs they're going to collide basically at the one yard line so higgins dives outstretched arms and he gets hit by Sorensen, and the ball fumbles out of the back of the end zone, and it's a turnover. It's Chiefs' ball. And everybody on the Internet is saying not only that it's a bad rule, they're all using the hacky cliche, and I can't think of any phrases for myself. This is, quote, the worst rule in sports. What do you think about that? Because I 1,000% disagree. I think the rule is fine. State the rule. The rule is if an offensive player is going into the end zone and he fumbles before he crosses the goal line and the goal and the ball rolls out of the end zone, then it's like the other team gets the ball at their own 20-yard line. And I don't think it's bad because, number one, all the players know the damn rule, right? The rules are different in the end zone anyways, as Jesse James showed us. You can't just catch it and put two feet down. You got to do a somersault or whatever. Or, I don't know. It's just different. If, if the nose of the football crosses on a run play, it's a touchdown. But if it crosses on a pass play, it's not a touchdown. If the ball hits when you hit the ground, you know, to me, the offensive players all know the rule. When a player is diving towards the end zone, if it's Steelers player, you and I are yelling at the TV, don't do it. His teammates are yelling, don't do it. Right. And Bill Belichick doesn't even let his players reach out towards the end zone like that traditionally because it's too risky. And then the second one that a lot of people are talking about is every damn rule in the rule book helps the offense. If an offensive receiver catches the ball in midair and a defender is going to hit him square in the chest and the offensive player decides to duck his head into the defensive player's helmet, it's a 15-yard penalty on the defense when really it was the offensive guy doing it. We don't need to document all the rules that help the offense, but it's getting kind of obscene how many rules do help the offense at this point. And you finally have one that helps the defense – and I don't think it, it's that weird. The end zone's an important place. You should protect that. The players know not to reach it out. I don't see why it's such a bad rule. I think people are just pissed off because they almost had a great upset. So just to clarify, the, one, the, the rule that I don't think is right is this the, the thing you mentioned where the ball crosses the plane, no matter what, it should be a touchdown. Just a millimeter, if they can measure it, if it crosses that white line, it should be a touchdown. It. Okay. I think they changed after. So we're not talking about that. Here, here's my problem. Just because everybody knows the rule doesn't make it a fair rule or a desirable rule. I think that you're right. The end zone is a special part of the field. And I think this rule came, and I'm trying to find it. I wish I did this before the, the podcast. You know, they implemented this rule based on a play. Was it Oakland who fumbled into the end zone? Anyway, 
You know what? It seems like, you know, in the Bible they say eye for an eye, which means proportional response to the violation. It seems like fumbling out of the end zone should not be penalized by giving the ball over. Maybe you could put it out at the 20. That it seems extreme. Cool. Right. It, seems, it just seems like an extreme um, redress for someone. I mean, you got all the way to the end zone, and now you're, you're penalized for you know, that infraction. Way beyond what, uh, what should be penalized. I'll just I'll leave it at that. Right. But then why do you get two points in the ball back when you tackle the quarterback in the end zone? Like, so it's just a special area to get tackled in? Why do you get – so if the – yeah. Yeah, why, why do we have the safeties safety. then? Like, we're implying that the end zone is a more important area. So Well, you do have the ball in the end zone. <laughs> in a matter of speaking, you're just told a man is wrapped around the ball. No, I uh, yeah. I, that's I, a good question. Yeah, so then but, – but that still speaks to your idea. It's like, okay, well, the end zone should be prioritized, but maybe you just have to get the ball at the 25 now and, like, loss of down. Like, the down counts and you get it back at the 25. Like, I think there should be some increased uh, attention on the end zone. I agree, and I, I, I love the safety. I mean, I think there is something no, – I'm, I'm still it, talking it, about the, the reach rule. I'm with you. But you're, you, you drew that as an analogy or a comparison. Why do they get points for a safety, but you don't have a, the same kind of – why would I object to the penalty for fumbling out of the end zone? I think that your back is to the end zone. You have lost all your options, right? At that point, you're pinned, and the, and the end zone is a special place on the field. So I'm good with the safety, and it's also pretty rare. The fumble to me is you've earned 100 yards of field position – and then you actually can lose the ball after all that. It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't seem like the right penalty to me. It's extre- It's definitely extreme. I mean, so that's why I, I kind of like your ideas. Like maybe you, you just got to go out to where the touchbacks go, like the twenty-five or something. But I don't. Uh, I don't know. I just like protect the ball when you're in the end zone. That's why, like, when you're in offense, you know, like, hey, don't drop back in the in your own end zone. Because, you know, there's a risk of a safety. This area is more important. It's more emphasized than the other areas. So if you take the risk of dropping back in the end zone, you might get a great play. Like Ben's made so many times to Martavis and Juju and Santonio Holmes and all these guys. You get the risk reward. Well, if you want to reach the ball out and try and score, maybe it should just be like a safety. Maybe you get two points and they get the ball back, and that's just how we treat the end zone. But I do think it should be emphasized. I do not think that you should just get the ball at the one there for fumbling at the end zone. So as you've been pointing out, there were some playoff games this weekend. Our other arch rival found themselves out of the playoff. And can I tell you the most astounding thing about that game? What? Justin Tucker misses two two eminently makeable field goals. Well, it sucks for us because that means he's not going to miss another one for two more years. He's gotten them out of the way. Yeah, it just shows that Lamar is so freaking good. You have to grade him on a different level because the running is so out of this world. It's like Tyreek Hill and him are this like, just unstoppable as runners. But the passing is not there yet. He's too inconsistent. And their weapons aren't good enough. I mean, Marquise Brown's like 5'7". Snead is okay. Andrews, their tight end, is great. But... They need to figure out a way to coordinate a better passing game, and Lamar has to improve, and they need some better receivers. Here's my question, though. So Drew Brees gets knocked out of the playoffs, right? And I'm watching that game, and I think, like, uh, because I'm watching the games before, and I watched Baker Mayfield sneak it for a first down. 
And I just shake my head. Like, this is what it's like watching a team play. I watch Tom Brady drop back in the pocket and hit a skinny post. I watch Chad Henney drop back and hit a skinny post. Like, I remember this. This is how we watched football for 16 years. And we didn't get to watch that this year. The Steelers are playing with two hands tied behind their back. We don't use motion. We don't use play action. We can't run. We don't throw over the middle of the field. We don't do QB sneaks. We do, like, there's so many taboos here. They're the, the Mormons of offense here. No offense, but there's just a lot of restrictions there. You know what I'm saying? And I'm watching these other teams. Like, it is just crazy how hard the Steelers are making on themselves. And to me, my hero, Ben, athletic hero that way, I love him so much. I don't want to see him go out terribly. You know, we saw what we saw this year. He can still play. He's not Drew Brees, but the fluctuations are wild, and there's not a lot of reason to believe next year will be much better. If anything, it could be worse. But it is sort of like, dude, you are hamst- – if you're the reason for this, and it's not just Feetner, you're literally trying to win the Super Bowl with the hand tied behind your back, and there's other guys out there like Josh Allen and Mahomes who will have no problem beating you with that hand tied behind your back. When I watched the Saints, I felt the same thing. They're playing with the hand tied behind their back with Drew Brees. The man just cannot get the ball, you know, 10 yards downfield. It just takes so much effort for him. And so he's retiring, all-time great. And everybody celebrates his performance, which has been much worse than Ben's. If you watch them both, I mean, Ben can still throw the ball. Brees can't throw the ball. Like, uh, Sean Payton can drop 100 different plays for Kamara to get it two yards past the line of scrimmage. And the stats will look good. But Michael Thomas didn't have a single catch yesterday. The alleged best receiver in the NFL. When did that ever happen to Antonio Brown? Never. Like, literally, it didn't happen. Um, so, that, you know, I always get annoyed because I love Drew Brees. I grew up loving Drew Brees, short quarterback. And I still do, but I just hate the media response to him, why he gets propped up as this, like, some people were calling him a top five quarterback, which is literal insanity. Um, he's an all-time great quarterback. Nobody has a problem with, like, his team goes 9-1 and one when he's not in the game. Sean Payton, if you know what you're watching, he's clearly di- designing so many plays for the first damn read to be open, the same way it happens with Tom Brady. And that doesn't mean Drew isn't great. He's definitely great. His pinpoint accuracy, his processing, and everything. But he gets the stats are the reason why he gets cited as unbelievable. And the stats are inflated by people other than him. So that's just what I'm trying to say. And people are kind of celebrating the end of his career where they make fun of Ben for the end of his career when Ben has looked actually much better than Drew Brees this year. But at the end of the day, you got to love Drew Brees because he's the man. And he helped that city after Katrina, you know, giving them a lot of hope. And he works with the city a lot. And he's just a freaking great guy. But they go 15 years, they only get one Super Bowl appearance. And this is why I'm saying the Packers, the Steelers, and the Saints are really the only true franchises who have known true pain over the past 10 years. Because when you're the Browns and the Bills, you don't have any expectation of winning at the beginning of the year. You're just hoping to become relevant. With the Steelers, you're knowing every year, like, this could be the year. And every year we don't get it, it, it could be the end. You know, And the same thing with the Saints. How do you look at, to end this podcast, how do you look at the last decade of Steelers football, which may be extending one more year here with Ben coming back, but sort of feels like it's kind of coming to an end here. Is it a failure because they had a couple teams in there who seemed talented enough to actually win the game and they couldn't get it done? Is it a failure because they didn't just get knocked out of the postseason by better teams? They got embarrassed and they didn't show up to those games? Or is it just... Hey, it's friggin' impossible to win these damn Super Bowls. Nobody else won multiple except for the Patriots, who are the exception to the rule, and it was fun watching them try. 
You're talking to a guy who's experienced exactly one championship in his entire life, including adult night gym, rec ball. Um, Look, it's not a failure. I think the stars were never so aligned that the Steelers were a fait accompli to get to the Super Bowl. When you think about the Killer Bees, we were fending off a less than effectual defense. We never had either the overpowering offense or overpowering defense where you had a serviceable you were serviceable on the other side of the line right i do agree we always were sort of fighting upstream on one side of the ball or another or the special team so uh it was always going to be a dog fight to get there and you know 32 teams it's you know to get to what we're talking about next week the conference championships is, is an accomplishment let alone to to get to the the ultimate contest yeah i do agree with you i think we look with some rose colored glasses about those defenses. I mean, they weren't just bad. They were literally the worst defenses in the league with the killer bees. Just, I'm just upset that they were so inept on those defensive sides of the ball. And Tomlin was so, so slow to make changes because they could have done a few extra things early to make that defense. Okay. And they should. And I do think with the way Ben played with his connection with Brown and bell and that offensive line in particular, they should have at least gotten to one other Super Bowl, And so that's the big disappointment for me. Yeah, I think that's the lock for me that we talked about earlier in the show that Tomlin sort of hangs on to his reality and and that times uh, inhibits his ability, you know, his flexibility or the ability to pivot, make changes at halftime or, or for next season because right. he's so dogmatic. He seemed to be so dogmatic about certain things and that, that sort of held us back. But next weekend, Tampa Bay Buccaneers at Green Bay, followed by Buffalo at Kansas City. What's the most likely upset in those two contests? I think they're extremely even. Um, I don't know which one's more. I mean, like, are, would the Bucks be upsetting the Packers when they already beat them by 30 this year? Albeit that was down in Florida, and now you're going to be in chilly, uh, you know, chilly Green Bay. Obviously, Green, uh, Tom Brady won't have a problem with that weather, but is the team not used to playing it? Um, yeah, the Bills haven't. The Bills peaked at the end of the season, and then they actually haven't played that well in the postseason. So, but Mahomes. You know, he'll play next week, concussion or not. They're saying it's nerve damage on the, his neck, which is crap. Who cares? <laughs> yeah, he's, he's playing. But, um, look, I'll just say this. So, yeah, maybe maybe I would say the Buccaneers would be the most likely. But I, I'll say this. Steelers aren't in it, so screw all these teams. Hope they all lose. But particularly the, the, the Buccaneers need to lose. Antonio Brown cannot go to a championship, and I'm done with Tom Brady going to championships. But the AFC championship, this might be the most explosive matchup we've seen since, like, the prime of Peyton Manning versus Tom Brady. I mean, to get uh, Michael Jordan, Mahomes, against this superstar of Josh Allen, they have so many similarities, those two guys, with how explosive they are and the plays they make. I really hope that that's an AFC championship game for the ages because I don't think I can think of a more exciting quarterback matchup. And even Peyton versus Brady, you know, those guys were surgeons. These dudes are. It's LeBron versus Michael Jordan in a certain way. And obviously, you know, I'm not saying that's their full career, but where John, where Josh Allen is right now, it's so exciting. And, and I do hope that Aaron Rodgers gets there. And I'm rooting for Rodgers to win the Super Bowl because I think, to me, Rodgers is the best quarterback of ever. And 
It's just a commentary to how they were never able to put together a defense around him. They didn't sign a damn free agent until two years ago. They didn't do free agency. They're like the Steelers. They were lackadaisical and, and ironclad in their ways. And I just get tired of Tom Brady automatically getting called the best quarterback of all time when I think he's certainly a top five quarterback. And, argue, and there's an argument to be the number one. But just the let's stop the conversation at number one quarterback ever because of the accomplishments of him combined with amazing defenses and coaching, it just seems so lazy to me. So to get Aaron that second one and to win one for the old guys is pretty cool. But wow, to get Tom Brady and Rodgers of the old era versus the new era of Mahomes and Allen, it's a pretty beautiful set of matchups. Just as long as Follow us on Twitter at Steelers Outpost. Shoot us an email at SteelersOutpost at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Until next week. Go Steelers. Okay, bye-bye. Love your shoes here. Okay, so there's some administrative stuff. Let's get to some more juicy things. Should I have said this at the top of the podcast? Can you edit this and put this back in the top of the podcast, please? At one point? Okay, so you guys might hear this right now. Uh, you'll hear it again. We're just going to do – I'm going to give you a quick sound bite for the beginning of the podcast. Cleveland sucks! You losers! 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 How does it feel? Oh, that was embarrassing. With, with about a couple minutes left in the fourth quarter of a divisional game against one of the most hyped teams in history, the Kansas City Chiefs, Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns in the playoff for the first time in 18 years have a chance to grab the NFL by the cojones and go down the field, score, make a statement for this glory-starved city. And what do they do? Three and out. Punt it. And lose to a 47-year-old backup quarterback named Chad Henney. You guys lost to Chad Henney. Not only did you lose to Chad Henney, you lost on a 20-yard run to Chad Henney. And my favorite part of this weekend is all the crying Browns fans who have been total dicks the entire time since they've got even decent. We didn't even do anything to you. We didn't taunt you while you were bad. Why? Because it wasn't worth it. It's literally taking candy from a baby for 20 years. And now you're here in a rivalry. Good, great, great. We understand that. You're mad at your father. Your father is a stepdad. First we beat you, then you hate us. And that's what the Steelers have been. But now the Browns are on quite the pedestal for themselves. Ha <laughs> ha, yes they are. Well, how well did that go? They're all tweeting now, oh, trying to tweet the final score of the Steelers game in response to us trolling them for that loss. We don't care. We don't care. We've already been going through that loss. That's done. I mean, it lives with us forever. Yeah, I'll remember that. Great. But it's not about us right now. You can say whatever you want. Sure. But you, you choked. You choked big time. You punted? Not even a Patrick Mahomes. You punted? And then you give up a 20-yard run to a 47-year-old Caucasian quarterback, and he doesn't even get the first down. It's fourth and one. You give up that in fourth and one. The other team went for it on fourth and one, and you lost big time. But here's the best part. The true pain hasn't really set in because they had such a magical storybook season, and they're thinking in their minds, hey, we get Odell Beckham friggin' Jr. back next year? We're going to Baker still on his rookie deal? We're going to be even better next year. We'll be back here again. No, you won't. No, you won't. Nobody ever is. Only the Patriots are back. Only Patrick Mahomes comes back. You might get close again. Hey, they're probably going to the playoffs next year. They'll probably even be the favorite to win the division next year. 
But unless you have Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, the chances of winning the Super Bowl are as close to zero as you can possibly be. Because it's like that for every team. There's some miracle team that comes out of nowhere every once in a while that makes it happen. Sean Payton, Drew Brees, 15 years together. One Super Bowl appearance. Ben Roethlisberger hasn't been to a Super Bowl in 10 years. Aaron Rodgers, same amount of time. And you think the Browns are going to do it? No. Welcome to true pain as a football fan. You've never felt it. All you've had is this latent we suck, you know, a shame associated with your name. Bags over your heads. I imagine that sucks, right? Maybe we're heading towards that. I don't know. I hope not. But that's not real pain because you never had anything to lose. That's why when, you know, Russians capture Americans in movies, they torture them for a little while. And then they let them out. But they don't really let them out. They let you think that you got out. And then you're, oh, you're running out of the base and you're in the snow. And like, I'm free, I'm free. And then, bam, a net catches you and puts you back into the cell. And they say, that's why I let you think you are free. Because you had nothing to lose. Now you're truly being tortured because you've lost your freedom again. That's what's happening to you guys. You suck. And it was great to watch. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.